You're listening to ReachMD, and this is GI Insights, produced in partnership with the American Gastroenterological Association. I'm your host, Dr. Barry Menon, and with me today is Dr. Carol Burke, who is Director for the Center for Colon, Polyp, and Cancer Prevention at Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Welcome, Dr. Burke. It's a pleasure to be here, Barry. Thank you. Now, we're going to talk about a symposium that you uh, delivered a talk at uh, that had to do with uh, gender and gastroenterologic practice. And uh, I'd like, first, before we get into your paper, for you to talk about some of the uh, overriding issues uh, in terms of men and women and gastroenterology. The first thing I'd like to talk about is the disparity in the practice of gastroenterology between men and women. Women more often are in academic practice than private practice. Women get paid less than men hour for hour worked uh, at about a level of 77 cents on every dollar that the man earns. Women are less likely to be promoted when they are in academic practice, less likely to be offered partnership within their practice. So there's substantial disparities within the practice of gastroenterology, and that extends even to work that they're performing outside of the office. So when you take a look at men and women that have other duties outside of work, women more likely are performing the child care, um, performing family care duties, and spending more hours really keeping the family and the practice afloat. The other thing that came out in the symposium was the difference between the uh, physical composition of men and women. Women have less muscle mass, and when we're performing endoscopic procedures, because that's a lot of what the symposium talked about, we actually um, are delivering more torque to our smaller muscles, which impacts on Um, the the disability and the ergonomics of what we do and creating uh, injuries in the workplace. So one of the topics that came up is how are women um, actually going to be able to sustain a career in gastroenterology and endoscopy when we're using equipment that was based on that design for a man's frame, a man's hand, and we're all going to try to work to um, within the community to talk to some of the scope manufacturers to see if we can at least decrease the head of the scope or make alterations in the equipment that we're using to minimize the workplace injury that affects women oftentimes more than men. Interesting. Well, we're sitting among most of the major players here, and I hope you get a chance to talk to uh, some of them about that. What an interesting uh, aspect to it that if you're not in it, you don't realize it, especially if you're a guy. You don't realize the the physical factors in performing the procedure. Absolutely, and it goes beyond that, Barry. So I, I do want to mention that women oftentimes, women patients prefer women endoscopists. And it is technically more demanding to perform colonoscopy on women than men. So here you have women who have less muscle mass performing colonoscopies on a population that are more difficult to do, require more torque, more body energy, um, and so they disproportionately get affected with a population that's difficult to scope. Well, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to concentrate on with you here, and that is the paper that you gave, which is specific to the issue of colorectal cancer screening and the gender-based differences. Could you please elaborate on that? Sure. So um, what we've found is that the rates of colorectal cancer screening have increased in women and they're, and they're on parity with men. And that's both from European countries as well as men. 
But interestingly, there is some racial difference in the choice of colorectal cancer screening modalities that are chosen by women, with white women more often choosing endoscopic measures for screening and Hispanics and African Americans and others more likely to go with fecal occult blood testing. The other disparity is in the efficacy of colorectal cancer screening. So on first blush, we know that large randomized controlled trials on fecal occult blood testing, flexible sigmoidoscopy, and cohort studies or case control trials in colonoscopy have shown a decrease in incidence and mortality by using those screening measures overall. But when you look at the subgroup analysis, fecal occult blood testing in the 30-year follow-up to the Minnesota colon cancer control trial showed no benefit in women to biennial fecal occult blood testing, and annual fecal occult blood testing was only effective in women greater than 70 years of age. So people don't think about that when they talk about options. The FlexSig trials, PLCO was a large randomized trial in the United States where individuals were randomized to FlexSig um, at three to five year intervals versus usual care. And there was a mortality and incidence benefit in men that didn't extend to women in terms of mortality. And in terms of colonoscopy, women are disproportionately affected with interval cancers, and those are cancers that are developing before the time at which the next examination is scheduled. Perhaps a faster-growing lesion? The biology of the lesions in women is probably different. There's a study that showed that even the normal mucosa is more highly methylated. The methylation patterns are distinct in the right colon from the left colon, and that wasn't observed in men. And when you look at the interval cancers in the United States, they have a um, genetic and molecular fingerprint with BRAF mutations, high levels of microsatellite instability, MLH1 methylation, and those actually are the hallmark changes that are noted in sessile serrated polyps versus adenomas, which are a male colon cancer precursor in women, it seems like these SSPs are a high contributor to cancer in women. So basically, for a non-gastroenterologist, to get what you're saying is that the biology of women's uh, colon cancers can set up differences in the efficacy of screening procedures. That's absolutely true. But beyond that, because of the difficulty in performing colonoscopy in women, They have higher rates of incomplete examinations. They have more pain. So FlexSig is less effective. It's not getting as far. And uh, women require higher rates of sedation, and they also then get impacted by higher rates of adverse events because of sedation. So my take-home pearls from my session was that we really should consider whether or not to offer guaiac-based fecal occult blood testing in women at all, whether it's on an annual or biennial basis. If we're going to do flexible sigmoidoscopies, that they should probably be considered with sedation and not with generalists because there is strong data that a non-gastroenterologist is less effective in performing the examinations. When it extends to colonoscopy, we certainly need to ensure cecal intubation. There are some magnetic um, and imaging devices that can be used to decrease loop formation in women that might decrease pain and incompleteness of examinations. We need to look very carefully in in the proximal colon where they have a disproportionate number of lesions and interval cancers. And I think overall using um, 
high-quality endoscopists um, that can perform the exams in women. There are some barriers to screening that I think that we could um, do better and overcome. Women, individuals that have a history of abuse, whether man or women, um, are more likely to choose a female endoscopist. And because there are ergonomic differences and uh, work, workplace injuries, I think that if um, a practitioner is seeing more women in their practice performing a colonoscopy, maybe rather than a 30-minute colonoscopy slot, it should be an hour colonoscopy slot, and then considering the use of propofol or deeper sedation to ensure an efficacious examination. Hmm. What about the role of DNA-based screening? There is a commercial um, assay that was FDA-approved. Um, it is, has not made it into any of the colon cancer screening guidelines. One of the issues is most of what we do for colon cancer screening is a programmatic approach to screening. So we know what the test characteristics and accuracy is for one time fecal DNA testing, and the, the commercial assay now mm -hmm. is looking at two markers, which are methylated, some other um, oncogene um, and tumor suppressor gene alterations, as well as combined with a fecal immunochemical test. So we know that it seems to be much more effective than a fit alone for detecting advanced lesions, including the large sessile serrated polyps, which disproportionately affect women. But keep your ears out because more needs to be known before we endorse that. Dr. Burke, thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure being here. I hope you enjoy DDW, and there's a lot of exciting and fascinating news um, occurring at this meeting. I'm Dr. Barry Menon, and you've been listening to GI Insights, produced in partnership with the AGA on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com AGA, featuring podcasts of this and other series. Thank you again for listening.